I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at RAINNetwork.com. Welcome to RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. My name is Emma Kami, and I will be your host today. Since Beijing abruptly abandoned its zero-COVID policy in early December, news about China's economic rebound has been generally quite positive. Although China's recovery is indeed ongoing, challenges persist, and Beijing's policy approach to dealing with the economy will have implications for domestic stability and regional growth. Here with me today is Chase Blazik, an Asia-Pacific analyst at RAIN. Welcome, Chase. Thanks, Emma. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Could you please give us a quick review of economic developments in China since the zero COVID policy was lifted? Yeah, sure thing. I mean, overall, this has been a pretty positive couple of months. Uh, So after zero COVID, which is a time when um, people are generally not confident in consumption, there's a lot of saving going on because they don't know when a lockdown is going to happen. With that sort of uh, weight lifted off of Chinese citizens' shoulders, there is understandably quite a lot of resumption of business activity and even of consumption. Um, but that resumption of, of consumption, not to rhyme there, uh, is resuming a bit more slowly than folks had thought it would. The, the idea of revenge spending and in Chinese consumers suddenly, you know, after that, that weight is lifted, they can go out and spend to their heart's content because they've been less able to spend over the last few years, that really hasn't happened yet. Uh, but there is a resumption in, in people spending on, on uh, for example, restaurants, for going out and shopping, not really on big ticket items like cars and houses necessarily, but on everyday items. Uh, and travel is also resuming a bit more slowly. Um, but business and investor sentiment is generally improving. And even the housing market is looking like it's starting to stabilize, uh, if not grow rapidly uh, just yet. Um, but there's also the issue of local government debts that's sort of looming this year. So you could you could say out of the frying pan and into the fire, there's there's always some sort of economic issue to, to worry about in China. But these are what we're dealing with right now. Um, externally, we've also got uh, Western demand for Chinese goods is down um, because Europe and the United States are having their own economic troubles. And then in China, there's the issue of lingering unemployment and unrest fueled by that unemployment following the November nationwide uh, anti-zero COVID protests in China. And uh, again, externally, returning to, to what's coming at China from the outside, we have the tech restrictions coming from the United States, uh, especially on on chip exports to China, but then also from the Netherlands and Japan. And what will be Beijing's policy approach to these ongoing economic challenges? Well, Beijing's still pretty reluctant to get engaged in any sort of major consumer stimulus, the likes of which we saw, for example, in the United States and Europe, with just giving money to citizens and telling them, please go spend uh, because uh, Beijing's quite worried about the inflationary effects that could have, and, and rightfully so. Uh, so uh, the authorities are going to focus on tax cuts for businesses, easing access to credit for businesses. This is something they've focused on uh, religiously for the past couple of years. Um, but over the past couple of years, the problem has been uh, amid covid businesses are uncertain to, to go out and spend and to expand. Now that's changing a bit. 
There's also another large batch of special purpose bonds that the government is is allocating for local governments. These are basically particular debts they can take on to to fund infrastructure spending, uh, which is great in the short term because it, it boosts growth, it boosts employment, it looks great for these local officials, uh, but it does further contribute to that local government debt problem. Uh, which has been growing in China for the last few years because these local governments have been strapped with COVID expenses and all the, the government stimulus efforts that the government have been trying to put on citizens. They've tasked the local governments with funding these, right? So, so there's more of this sort of just spend on infrastructure and hope the debt doesn't catch up to you, uh, for local governments. Um, in the central and local governments, there's also a big push for employment. We're seeing this in the civil service, in the police, uh, again, in infrastructure spending, uh, even state or, or government internships that we're, we're seeing for some new graduates. Uh, so the government is trying its best to keep the, the people, and especially the youth, those age 16 to 24, employed. Because when you're young and you don't have a job, you tend to go out on the streets and voice your displeasure with the government. Externally, there's a, there's a diplomatic push that Beijing is also doing um, or engaging in, and we've seen this over the last six months, but it's been um, ongoing since zero COVID was lifted. And this is Beijing trying to resume negotiations with Europe on a comprehensive agreement on investment uh, and trying to appeal also to U.S. businesses and U.S. business lobbies to go put pressure on Congress to stop the scrutiny on China's economy any way they can really. And I guess we'll see if that bears any fruit. I'm not terribly hopeful um, for that just yet. Uh, and then generally, Beijing is talking about opening up in a pro-foreign business environment, pro-private sector environment. But at the same time, President Xi Jinping is pushing this self-reliance narrative that, you know, the West is bound and determined to keep us down. So we can't rely on trade with them because one day it'll be gone and pushing for greater party power as well and increasing the role of the state in, in both supervising and in guiding uh, industrial innovation. What uh, impacts will Beijing's policies and China's economic recovery overall uh, have on domestic stability as well as the regional and global economy? Well, all of those challenges I just put put down aside, China's recovery is generally quite good uh, for the region, for, for Asia's economic growth, and for the global economy. If, if we recall back in 2008, 2009, the great financial crisis, China's growth was one of the great buoys of the global economy that, that kept the thing chugging along. And it's looking like in 2023, China's recovery is going to do a similar thing, because like I mentioned earlier, Western Europe and the United States are experiencing a slowdown, so China might again help prop up the global economy purely by growing and by not uh, including COVID restrictions on the Chinese people or putting COVID restrictions on the Chinese people. Um, it is noteworthy, though, that China China can't pick up all of the slack, so to speak. Uh, the, the downturn in Western demand for Asian exports is hitting not just China, but Southeast and East Asia, too. And Chinese demand, Chinese consumers can't replace that. They don't demand the same goods uh, of Southeast Asia and East Asia. They don't uh, spend as much as Americans and Europeans do. So to some extent, this won't completely solve the problem of the global downturn in 2023, but it'll help some. Uh, 
Otherwise, there's also the, the Chinese outbound tourism, uh, which we really haven't seen recover just yet, and partly because Chinese citizens are still a little bit hesitant to go abroad when they know they all have somewhat inferior vaccines compared to the Western mRNA vaccines, which China still doesn't have widespread. Uh, but we will see that start to have an uptick, this outbound Chinese tourism, and as the, the largest um, consumer market or the largest consumer subgroup uh, that is Chinese tourists, this will, of course, help the global economy as well. Um, but, but worth watching, and these are the challenges for the next year and beyond, are the ongoing threat of labor unrest in China. Um, after the November protests of last year, where people have seen, the Chinese people have seen, that when you push for change in policy, sometimes you can have success. Uh, so we may see more labor unrest, particularly uh, factory unrest if people are feeling like, or workers are feeling like, I'm not getting the wages I deserve or my boss is holding out on me. We could see those local disruptions. And then the issue of local government debt. And I know I've mentioned this a couple of times, but it really is the watchword for financial stability in 2023. I might say even more than the real estate sector. Uh, so we're watching for any sort of risks for local government debt defaults in 2023 and the impacts this could have on the banking sector uh, and the real estate sector as well. And as, of course, if this becomes systemic, right, we see many of these defaulting, this could have an impact on China's consumption and threaten that very Chinese economic recovery that is supposed to buoy the regional and global uh, economy. Well, thank you for that analysis, Chase. Yeah, sure thing. You can learn how geopolitical events like this could affect your business with RAIN Intelligence Briefs. Our flagship risk intelligence products provide clients with access to the insights and analyses they need to make more informed decisions and drive better risk management outcomes. Sign up at RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E Network.com. I'm Emma Kami. Thanks for listening.